I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The wait is finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Now is nothing but my way. My lonely. <laughs> uh, what's been happening? Lots of books. Um, you've only you've quit reading the papers. I've given you've up. replaced them with books. Well, I've always read books. I told I'm... someone this the other day, and they said it was a symptom of madness. It might be, but I've read um, four novels in the last week by a guy called Ismail Kadari. We've been to the theatre, haven't we? Went to see yeah. Anne and Juliet. Juliet. Oh Snap. my god. Britney and Shakespeare together. And Backstreet Boys, everything. It was epic. Oops, I did it again. I gave him my heart. Oh, you can't, you don't even know the words. (laughs) Anyway, listen, let's, we've got a proper artist on this. Oh, I mean, the most mega human being in the world. No, I think that's pushing it a bit, but he's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I know him really well because of the People's Work campaign and Labour. I know him really well because of a TV program called Succession. Yeah, you might like watching on that, and so do I. And our guest today is Brian, Brian Cox. Congratulations on your Golden Globe, first of all. I loved your sunglasses. The glasses you wore. Oh, the glasses I wore. They were such a cool look. Yeah, they were. The, the problem was that they they were they were supposed to be done for the show, but they were they did them, but they did them wrong. They did them as readers, oh, I so see. I couldn't see anything beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of um, weird, but um, but they looked good. <laughs> they looked so cool. But in your speech afterwards, when you're being interviewed by the press, you said that your whole life you've wanted to just be able to say fuck off all the time and now yeah, you've got no, that I perfect can. job. Yeah, yeah. What is the perfect fuck off? You've got a lot of fuck offs in succession. What is the ultimate fuck off? Uh, the ultimate fuck off? Oh, gosh. I mean, tonally. Is it fuck off? Is it fuck off? No, I think it's the weary one. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> You see, I think, <laughs> I, I, think that is I think if you did three or four of those in a row, that could go massive as a as a as a. My dad time. wants it as his alarm. Yeah, it is. I don't know why. I I seem to have a kind of 
my voice seems to fit that, but I think it's I think it's actually to do with my Scottish background right. because I think the Scots really know how to swear, yeah. and they swear and the Irish swear as well. But the the Irish swear kindly, whereas the Scots do not swear kindly. Well, then, just, just do the very one again. Oh fuck off! <laughs> I can't tell you how much he now says it. He says it all the time. Well, I always have, but I feel no. But now you've got it's legitimised. I feel you've legitimised it by by saying and when saying it to your kids, you see. Oh yeah. I've I've I swear a lot, but I've, since Succession, I have sworn at you lot a lot. I just feel like you were <laughs> he never swore off. before, did he? Fuck he off. says it all the time. Yeah. Fuck off. But it's a, it's a great phrase. It is. In fact, I've decided it's probably going to be my book. You know, when I do a memoir, I'm going to call it Fuck Off. <laughs> uh, you, said, you said the difference between the Irish and the Scottish things. So you, you're a Catholic. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Micmac. Right. And what does that mean? I'm a, I was my, my antecedents and my uncle's antecedents, all the antecedents, actually. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they were from a place called Largi, which is just outside Inniskillen in Northern Ireland. That was on my father's side. And they came in the 1850s because, A, the blight hit Northern Ireland. And also they needed, on the east coast of Scotland, which was a big weaving community, they had discovered this thing about jute. Uh, it's a story, but the, the, the interesting thing is jute was this hemp. It's a flax. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. you know, that's grown in India. And the Indians used it, but it was always short pieces of sisal. They never could extend it. And by sheer, I don't know what happened, but Dundee was a whaling town. So by dipping this thread in whale oil, they found they could extend it. And they built these huge machines. And they created these sailcloths. And if you ever see a, a wagon train in a western, that cover would be made in Dundee, which wow. is quite interesting. So yeah. how, how Scottish would you define yourself as? Well, I'm pretty Scottish, but I am Catholic uh, as well. I mean, I'm not a practicing Catholic, anything, but but so I do come from that kind of uh, ritual and uh, sense of the feminine, which is quite strong in Catholicism because of the Virgin. Uh, so all of that, you know, is there. I mean, I'm as I say, I I don't practice it. So that was my background, and then growing up in a very non-sectarian community, which was, which was the East Coast. I mean, the, the people who came from Northern Ireland were the women. The men were known as kettle boilers. They had no work. They were farmers, and it had all failed. The blight actually started in Scotland. So they came to Scotland, and with them, their, and they were the house husbands, but they were useless. I mean, their children ran wild, and child poverty. There was the richest people in the world in Dundee who were the mill owners, and then there was the highest rate of child poverty. Right. So it was always, it's, it's always been a contentious thing. And then we had this press called DC Thompson's, which were fairly kind of right wing in many ways. Uh, they even disapproved of Churchill. <laughs> Because Churchill had been the MP between two, 1908 and 1922. He was the MP for a long time. What, of Dundee? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then they got rid of him. And they brought in, because of, it seems a joke now, but they brought in a temperance MP called mm -hmm. Scrimmager. And the reason they brought him in was because of the alcoholic rate that developed after the First World War. But because they had all these 
women who were working and men who were not working, the men, they started these pubs, and the men used to go in with the, and get, you know, total castle. So that's interesting. So so did you grow up with a really strong sense of, like, women being at the head oh, of the household? absolutely. Absolutely. My, my, my sister is 89, and she's like, she was like my mum, because my mum, I mean, my dad died when I was eight, and my mum was institutionalised because she had a massive series of massive uh, nervous breakdowns. But no, the women in my society were, uh, were in, my, in my community were the strong ones. They were the Just ones. Just tell me a bit about your mum then. So, so she, you, d- you were nine when your dad died? I was eight, yeah. Eight. Eight. I was coming. And, 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 and your mum, you say she had these huge nervous breakdowns. Yeah. Are they, if that happened, is your sense that if that had happened to her and she was alive today, yeah. would she have ended up in an institution or was it because of the time that she Well, it was the time and it was the it was the advent of uh, electric shock treatment. She so had all that. She had all that. And of course it destroyed a lot of her memory and it, it destroyed her really. I mean she went on for another 20 years. Mm. In but an institution. No, 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 no. She kept no, no. She wasn't in the institution. She was only in the institution for She was in a hospital for nervous diseases. She wasn't she wasn't in a hospital for insane, mm-hmm. you know. She was just she just couldn't cope. And I, I, I mean, it was, my father had a little shop that was bequeathed to him by his sisters. Uh, his eldest sister, who was Mary Ann, was 25 years older than him, and she'd lost her husband in the First World War. So she had a little compensation and bought this shop and f- to put her brother into it. Uh, and she did, uh, except my dad didn't go. And my mother went into the shop because my dad continued working in the mill as a, as a batcher, which is shoving the the big bales of uh, jute around. So he worked there, and then he came into the shop, and he was very good. He was very good with figures, and he was very generous, and, he will, and he, he, his shop was in a, 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 a working-class community, a sort of ghetto, really, uh, in a place called Charles Street. And Ironically, his name was Charles Chick. And, uh, and he was like the patriarch of that area. But what he did was he gave people credit Mm. And that was his undoing because people didn't pay their bills. So he died relatively suddenly. He was died within three years, three weeks of his diagnosis. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. You know, I was only eight, but I I, I remember it. It was, a, it was a you know, it was a shock because my my childhood had been very blissful up until that point, and then when my father died, everything went mm. to hell in the handbag. And, and do you remember your mum being taken ill? Oh yeah. Well, I came home one day and. Uh, <laughs> My mother was uh, cleaning the oven, and <laughs> I came in and I came home from school. We had this little scullery, you know, and my mother had had an accident where she knocked a chip pan that went all over her arm. It was horrible. I remember that. And anyway, well, I came home one day, and she was on her knees, and the, the oven door was open, and uh, I, I, I went, I said, oh, Ma, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm just cleaning. I said, but there's a strong smell of gas. She said, oh, I must have knocked the gas. She clearly was attempting to do yeah. herself. Yeah. And, and, and what was she diagnosed with? Uh, well, it was just a kind of complete breakdown of her nervous sensibility. You know, she'd just gone. I mean, it just got, I mean, I think she felt guilty about my dad because her great thing was, I mean, it's, it's a thing that we, I still carry with me, is, uh, you know, she used to say charity begins at home, you know. Uh, just remember that. And... Uh, my father was the opposite. He was all embracing. He was a beautiful man. I mean, he really was. I mean, he was. I mean, he was like I think 
something like over 300 people came to his funeral because he was very loved. Mm. But it was, it, was, um, it was a strain on my mother, and she was very different. She was, she was an intelligent woman. She wasn't stupid, but she, was un, she didn't have any education you know, because she was typical working class, mm. went into the mill when she was 14. She was a spinner, had a drunken Irish father. He was kind of strange and still find it hard to find his... He said he was in the Black Watch, and I remember pictures of him, but I can't find anything to do with his records <laughs> at all. You know, I mean, he's, he was supposed to be... My mother kept saying, oh, he's a 21-year serving man, and he was also supposedly in the Boer War. Now, the only thing he could have been is in the militia, <laughs> but I still can't. I mean, have you properly gone and had a look? Well, we had, they tried to find his records in the Black Watch, and they couldn't find anything, so I don't... And I, yeah, I saw this picture. I remember my mum showing... There's your, there was a picture in the... We had a, a press, a cupboard in the in the, lo- the lobby of our house, which was a big old-fashioned coal, coal cupboard, which we never used. And we had everything, you know, bottles of water from Lourdes and everything <laughs> in, this, in this cupboard. <laughs> and there was this big photograph of this man in a, in a <laughs> bear skin. And, and he was a drill sergeant major, red-headed. And, uh, but I don't know, so kind of. So did you have one one older sister or more? What were you no, I had three. You had three older sisters. Three older sisters. Wow. So they, they So they basically brought you up. Well, after, they after you. you they they they. I I describe it. They looked out for me rather than looked after me. I mean, uh, they really did. Um, I mean, they were they were young. I mean, my 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 older sister was a married woman, you know, because they're sixteen, seventeen years older than me. And she had her own kids, and I went to live with her in her two rooms with toilets, two toilets on the stairs shared between five families, you know. And uh, I lived, and I would stay with, I would sleep with my co- my net, my ne- my nephews who were like my cousin. I mean, they were like my. You <laughs> they were like your age. Yeah, they were they were just a bit younger than me, eight years younger than me, seven years, exactly the same distance between me and my brother. And my brother had fucked off, too, as soon as my father died. I mean, I think he, he took it really badly, but couldn't What sort explain. of fuck off was that? That was, <coughs> that was just descriptive of fucked off. <laughs> that, was a, that, yeah. <laughs> that was a fucked yeah. off, yeah, descriptive fucked off. And he did, he fucked off and joined the army, which he didn't need to do because he, was, he could have been exempt, but he ran away. I mean, and, I and then did you have much relationship with him after that? No, not really. I mean, you know, he's like the antithesis. I mean, I'll, I... I um, he was the complete opposite of me. I mean, he like uh, we couldn't be more different. I mean, he thought, "What are you?" You know, he, he looked at me like I was from Mars most of the time because of my aspiration. Did you always wow. want to be an actor? Oh yeah, oh yeah. From, from when? Age? Oh, from about two. No. Yeah, my dad wow. used to put me on. Well, my dad was my dad was a kind of sort of paterfamilias, and so people used to come to our house, particularly at New Year. And at New Year, and my mother would be making a steak pie in her dressing gown at four o'clock in the morning, and and that was the blissful, that was really blissful. My childhood in that way was incredibly blissful, and my and I, I'd, they'd get me up out of bed, and um, my dad would put me on the there was a coal bunker and a recess in our window, and there was curtains, and my sister May, she was the performer of the family, she would introduce me, and I would do Jolson impersonations, aged two and a half. Wow, you know, Can you still so, do it. <laughs> I haven't done it for a long time, but you know, mammy and how you know all that stuff. But uh, wow. so we, we, I would do that, and my, you know, I get the round of applause, and I thought, oh, and so I remember nice. it affected me, and I thought, oh, this is good. And did you know then that that sense of performing was actually something that 
I'm not saying as a two-year-old you think about a profession, but you sort of knew that. No, I knew it. There was some. There was there was enormous there was enormous gratification, and 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 being inclusive. You know, I mean, I think one of the things I've suffered from, I've actually thrived on, is being excluded. You know, my life. uh, You know, I've I've always felt that. In In what sense? Well, just the fact that I. You know, I, I never fitted in, you know. I mean, my education was a complete sham and disaster, and I wasn't interested in anything technical. I mean, I couldn't do I mean, I can sew. But I, yeah, I we, we should <laughs> say for the record that we arrived to find Brian Cox sewing a hole in his jumper. But, I mean, I, you know, I couldn't, I mean, I, you know, you used to get these little things where you had to make boats, which was the first thing you did in carpentry, you know, because my boats looked... Sink. Oh, I mean, they were horrible. They were just horrible. They were just, you know, I couldn't charm. I'd, and I'd also, with the file, that cut my finger, you know, and they'd be covered in blood. <laughs> so listen, talking of the, growing up with all these, these strong women looking after you, on a scale of one to ten, how big a feminist are you? Well, I don't... I, I, I think I am probably quite feminist. Um, I don't really think in those terms. I mean, a scale of one to ten. I, yeah, it's I, very I, Alistair Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was your idea. That was your idea. I, <laughs> I don't like that idea. Okay, well, let's get into it. You insisted on. No, I mean, it. I, it's very hard to say on a scale of one to. Well, I think I'm maybe a four plus three. <laughs> no, I, 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 I just, you know, I, I suppose the the miracle. I mean, this is this is going to sound odd, but. I suppose that the, the the idea of the Virgin Mary was such an extraordinary concept to me as a little boy, and sitting in church, because you know, we used to go to, uh, you know, before John the Twenty Third, there was the Tridentine ceremony. There were all the kind of ritual ceremonies that went with it, like going to benediction in the afternoon. So the str- the sense of I see what you've missed out on, Grace. Because mm, yeah. of you, you don't do yeah, God. Well, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's an advantage, but it's. You know, you leave it behind, but it gives you a sense of, you know, what the community want, what the community needs in terms of its well-being. Did so, you I, believe, did you believe the story? I, I believed. Yeah, I probably did. I believed the story in the sense of the 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 kind of effect it had on me. And my, I remember my sister's weddings, and I remember my my sister had to marry because she married a Protestant, so she had to marry at a side altar, which was quite wow. funny. And uh, so I all that, I remember the priests, I remember the nuns, my mother was always had nuns around the house, It was and these big nuns with the big white hats, you know, and they looked like swans, you know. So I remember that, and, and they, they used to scare me, those women used to really scare me. I used to get a little, when this woman came with the white, I used to go in my room and just <laughs> look back. <laughs> but... Uh, no, it, it was, it, it was kind of formative. Mm. You know, it was formative. But you, but you basically believe in equality between men and women. Well, I mean, I, I, I saw the suffering that my mother had, and I knew there was something wrong. Uh, it wasn't quite right. But then I realised that my mother was a tip of a, an iceberg of of working class women who. Who were the who were literally the salt of the earth? Who did keep keep body and soul together? And those women, you know, they'd gone through two wars. You know, mm. growing up in the fifties, and I think this is a hard thing for people to understand that democracy was dead. Mm. There was there was no democracy, 
And there was no fair play. There was nothing across the board. It was just, you know, we went from one war to a depression to another war. So for the first 50 years of the 20th century, we were in total chaos. And it was only when Attlee came along, who I still think is... See, because you've always been pretty outspoken in terms of politics. Yeah, I mean, I've always... I mean, I just came to it because I just... It's just such a fucked up world. I mean, and it's... I mean, this society is so futile and people don't even realise that everybody's in their place, you know, and... And I I grew up with that, you know, that you could only... You mustn't go that way. You have to... You know, and I've Mm. always broke boundaries that's what i've done and that's <coughs> and that's been my life you know we, and and you but you 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 were labor really most of your life i was labor yeah. you still feel your labor oh i'm labor heart. yeah i'm labor at heart i just think <laughs> there's a few wee problems mm, <laughs> big, yeah big problems yeah i mean but i am labor and at do you heart. think it's possible to be labor in the scottish context to be labor and pro-independence yeah i got, i mean we started it mm. it started in scotland with Keir Hardy. I mean, the whole Labour movement is, is you know, I mean, of course, there's old uh, uh, Ernest Bevan and stuff, the work that he did, and, and, and those English socialists. But the root of it was there, and so therefore it's something that we created. And, of course, we've been shot on ever since. And that's what I feel about my country. I never felt that until... Quite recently. I never felt You never that felt, what, a strong sense of Scottish independence? No, I didn't. I wasn't really. I mean, you know... The, when did the, it change? The Scottish, well, the Scottish National Party was a kind of joke, you know, when I grew up. It was a joke. And, and it was just... Well, I just... I, 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 I saw Scotland become Scotland. You see, when I was in, a kid, Scotland was North Britain. It wasn't Scotland. It had been interrupted. And I realised when I got into it, and at the time of the referendum, when I started looking at the history of my company country, I realised how interrupted everything had been mm. so that nothing was able to ferment or get going because it's, it's always to the greater good and that's the, that's the great thing about Scots. I mean, they kind of move from a tribalism to a kind of egalitarianism and it still is quite an egalitarian country, unlike here. Well, well not here. I mean, this is London. This is, uh, I mean, London mm. was like the place for freedom for me when I was a, when I was a kid. I mean, coming to London in the 60s, Come on, you know. But you know, a, is there not a bit of an irony going on here that Scottish nationalism, if it is to be successful, is going to depend to some to a large extent on a revulsion at the English nationalism that has driven all well, of this is, the, the, yeah, the, 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 this is this is my this is my problem I have. I do not like the word nationalism. I I really don't like that word, but I understand how it's come about, hmm. particularly in my country. But it's not. Exclusive. It's inclusive because we are European. That's mm. why we voted sixty-two percent for, you know, Remain. for remaining. You know, so we we have got that. But it, it, it it's just it's you know the Irish have been allowed to have their own identity in the South. There's still the confusion, and that confusion will always remain. And because it's because Northern Ireland became a dumping ground for disaffected Protestants, disaffected Catholics, you just threw them all there, like a big dumping ground. Scotland is just, in a way, what I, why, what I love about Scotland, what I love about, and why I feel Scots, more Scots than Irish, but I love my Irish roots, and it took me a while to just realise mm. that I'm my, my kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, um, my pliability comes from my Irishness, you know. You feel British? 
I feel British to a certain extent. But do you feel a, Scottish and Irish ahead of that? Uh, probably. I, I, I never thought about these things. You know, mm. that, that, that wasn't... You know, that wasn't my preoccupation. I was just trying to get on with being an actor. But what I, what I realize is that, that, that it, when, you, when you start on a career like the career I've had, and it's been a great career, I have to say. I, I can't, uh, you know, I, I, everything's worked out in the natural style of everything. But I just wanted to, as an actor, you want to embrace everything. You know, you're not, you, you, you should be capable of playing anything. Mm. You should, you know, your, your imagination should be able to work in any, you can, you should be able to pick up in any strata of society and reflect it. That's the job, you know. Shakespeare says, hold the mirror up to nature. That's your job. And it's a big, it's a big canvas, you know, so you, you do that. But at the end of the day, you know, what has been here, what has been so difficult about this country is the, it's what I call the feudalism. Mm, it hasn't of, changed. It hasn't changed. People put in their place. And Three times more Etonians have been Prime Minister than Labour. Well, exactly. Mm. Three, four directors of the National Theatre were Cambridge graduates. Mm. So all our institutions are geared towards that, mm. almost subtly and, and surreptitiously. On the independence point, though, do you think there's a case for the SNP changing its name? Because that is, it sounds to me like that's your <coughs> resistance to them, is the fact that the, the DNA, the raison d'etre, is Yeah. Like, if you get uh, it in the nationalism bit. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see that, I mean, personally speaking. I mean, I'll support them because they're the only people who are dealing with it. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 just, I just find it... You know, I, I think we should be called the Scottish Independent Party. It's as simple as that, and that's what we should be. And I think that that's where we, we need to. I just, I just think... It's interesting you say we. Scotland. <laughs> you mean you don't mean we the SNP? You mean we Scotland? Yeah, we Scotland should be. We should actually be. You know, and and then the party. I mean, if we're talking about the party, the party should be. It should be. You know, because as I say, you know, in the nineties, I was a. I, I was. I mean, I went on record as really blasting the party, blasting it. But then I saw. Then I see one's trajectory in life, where you you, you know this thing of getting on, and. And the two ideas of getting on. I mean, Alan Bennett wrote a wonderful play called Getting On, which I was in. So it's about getting on, and it's also about getting on, mm -hmm. you know, about the, the same, mm -hmm. the Sioux values and the conflict. That, and he wrote about it way back in the early 70s, you know, the aspirational thing about people wanting to sort things out politically, but then they cannot throw off their backgrounds. Mm -hmm. They come with their baggage. And uh, what was it? What was the final straw with Labour? <laughs> You're not going to like this. Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure lots of people would agree with that. I mean, that. that was it. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I just thought, you know, because I did the voice of Labour, as you know, in 97, yeah. and it was one of the greatest moments of my life was standing down there on the South Bank and coming in, and then, well, yeah, I, I just, that just kind of broke my heart, actually, because uh, I just thought, what's happened? But what about now? Oh, boy. Well, I, 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 I want to see, I want to see the, well, I do want to see the party led by a woman. I mm. do not want to see it led by Keir Starmer, who I have a wee problem with. Go on. <laughs> because? Well, he's just, he's just there's, there's something bureaucratic about him. There's mm. something, you know, he's a lawyer. Yeah, you know. he's a suit. So, so, and he's a suit, you know, so I'm, I'm not. I don't buy into him. I was one. I was on Question Time once, and he was, and he was very secretive and very sort of. And I thought, 
I mean, it's so funny. I was on question time with him and oh, what's he called? Chris Grayling. Chris, Chris really? Grayling. Yeah. <clears throat> and actually, Chris Grayling, who was a sort of probably walking disaster, but actually a rather sweet man and rather open mm. and kind of rather touching. You know, I just thought, oh, he's, he's, this is a nice guy. I didn't feel that about Starmer. I just thought, oh, this is a, this is this is the ambition, the kind of <laughs> wheeling and dealing, and I just mm. thought. So you want Prime Minister Long Bailey? No. I would prefer Radical. I would prefer Lisa Nandy. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think I would prefer... Now that, you know, now that you've lost Jess. Now that Jess is gone, yeah, I mm. think she's... Uh, no, I think she's... she's you know, I think she's quite interesting mm. and really... And I, I, I like Lisa, but I, I didn't like her saying that we've had four years, four decades of that. Yeah, but I just think that they're all me. doing no, that. Well, we haven't moment. had four years. No, we, we haven't. That was, yeah, you know, that's... Uh, and I do think, I mean, I've written this week in the New European about this virus of people feeling... I get the... I, I understand the criticism of Iraq, I get that. But this kind of virus within the party itself that we have to say that the most successful period of Labour Party's history in electoral terms was a disaster. I think that is... Yeah, that is I agree No, I, and that. I think that, that, to me, is the tragedy. That's truly a tragedy. It's a Because the aspiration mentality. and what, we, what, what happened in 97 was astonishing mm. by any stretch of the imagination. And it was an extraordinary time and a, a time of endless possibility mm. when, when the paradigm could finally have shifted. And we've never been able to shift the paradigm. We've never. Right back to the days of Wilson. He couldn't move it. He couldn't shift it at all. So the, there's always been the stop-go within the Labour movement, mm. you know, when it, the inability to really follow through in a way that... Well, I'm, you think about the feudalism. I remember when um, David Cameron was first emerging, and I remember writing a piece saying, there's no way Cameron will become Prime Minister because the country has now changed. It will never have another Old Etonian as Prime Minister. Yeah. But I, well, see, how wrong like, you were there, Alistair. <laughs> how wrong you were there. Don't I mean, and that, that is... I mean, I look at the Johnsons and the treacherous Gove. I mean, I just go... And then Jacob Rees-Mogg, and I think... This is ex- sorry, sorry. That was very Logan Roy. <laughs> this is exactly what I want to get what I wanted to get away from. Yeah. But don't you think that's happening in the arts too? Well, it's, but of course it's, it is. It's like the it's there was reflected a sense that all the way through. I mean, somebody like me, I was listening to um, well, the writer, uh, female writer, K, K. Miller. I was yeah. listening to her on the radio this morning, and she was talking about how she got a grant. I got a grant. I came from Scotland. My mother was a widow. I got a grant. I came to London. I had my, my fees were paid. I had a, a living allowance. And it was the best time of my life. And this was in 1960. You know, when there was still, you know, we were still, we only just got rid of five years, six years earlier of, of rationing. Mm. So we still had this extraordinary thing. And there was that. It was so great. You know, it was such a great feeling. And that social mobility. The free cinema and the, the advent of people like Albert Finney, Peter O'Toole, Alan Bates, Tom Courtney, you know, really sort of people who shifted it, shifted it big time. And those directors, you know, like Lindsay Anderson, Carl Rice, you know, Tony Richardson, the Royal Court, what happened there, and uh, that meant a lot. And, and it meant a lot in one's in, in the fermenting of one's political thinking as well. Do you think this, this thing can ever be undone while we have the royal family at the top of the tree. Oh dear. Go no, on. No. It's such a. It's such. It's, it's just. 
I mean, this whole Harry and Meghan mm. scandal, I mean, it's just disgraceful the way we've treated those kids. Disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. And uh, unacceptable. And unnecessary. And, and typical of this fucking press, you know. Yeah, that are, and their uh, anger. And their and you know, ownership and you, and you of them. Go, you know, we're better than that. And this is the thing that I know, ultimately, in terms of being British, we are better than that. And we've always, but we're not allowed to be better than that because we can't, we can't assert, we can't get out of our place, our aligned place. That's your spot. You stay there, and that's the inst- that's the thing. And yet, yeah, that has to go. Mm. Do you watch The Crown? I do. I'm completely addicted. It is good. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. And I, it's, I, I thought. I'd but then, never how does it. that sit with you? Because I never liked the royal family, and then I sort of thought well, The Crown was a good I, piece because of propaganda. You know, and, and, and what Peter Morgan has done is, you know, he shows the humanity. You know, I mean, I, I mean, the guy who played Duke of Edinburgh, Tobias yeah. Menzies, gives That's an me. astonishing performance. Astonishing performance. So I was actually, but just as that's from a creative point, yeah. from my job, I'm going, wow, this is great material, and it is great material. I remember all that, you know, and, I, and you know, and as you know, I was touched up by Princess Margaret, you know, yeah. was, you know was, yeah, yeah, you know. So I'm kind of. Yeah, well, let's stop. Let's go. Should we talk about Diana? Yeah, you, Dad's going to now try and compete with you because Diana once stroked his leg. Oh really? Mm. Lucky boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was, you know, yeah, she was not bad. But listen, how do we get? How do we get? You talked about that whole sort of Alan Bates and. And these guys, when you had this real sense of working class yeah. people getting into the arts. Yeah. And Silito and the writer, right. David and Story. It's, so, so it's David Story, The Sport in Life, best novel of sport ever written. Ever. How do we get that back? I don't know, Alistair. I just don't know. I think we've gone so far down the road. We've, And it's all about... It's, it's about our elected leaders just forget their basics. Forget... Forget actually what drove them in the first place. You know, what drove you to be a socialist in the first place? And to be a socialist is to be about being socialist, you know, about being, you know, a community of of of, of people who think in the same way. Well, but Jeremy but Corbyn would argue that's exactly what he's done, but he keeps losing. Yeah, because yeah, he, but, yeah, that... but you, you, need, you need someone, you need charisma, you need leadership, you need vision. You don't need plodding kind of backbench sort of reiteration. I mean, his policies are all great. And he's right. I mean, what he says is right. But the guy, you know, he's he couldn't sell a fucking you couldn't sell a carpet brush. No, it's true. It is I mean, true. You know, you come you come around. You, you know, I mean, he's got no ability that way. And yeah, and unfortunately, you know, you, you I, think... I, I, I'm in part of the theatres. You know, my great. Great cries. Uh, one of my great phrases is Zero Mustel in, uh, in the Producers. When he sees the old lady driving the fast car and he goes, That's it, baby. When you got it, flaunt it. Flaunt it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do think there's an element of that. So that if you haven't got it, fuck off. Fuck off. You know, but flaunt it. You know, flaunt it. You know. And I think that, and, and in fairness, I think that what Tony did at the beginning of that whole period was he did that. And he did it really well. He was a very, he was very expert in that. A few other characters I was a little bit more suspicious of. But I remember I had a run in, not directly with Mr. Mandelstam, because he, he kept wanting to say nasty things about John Major. And I kept thinking, well, it's a, 
you know, he's a great man, but he's not a nasty man. You know, let him be. You know, it's 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 over. It's yeah. finished. It's done. But, and listen, you know, the last time I was at this table was to sit with you recording a voiceover for the oh yeah some of the the films for the People's Vote campaign. So, how do you feel now that that's kind of all gone to shit and Brexit's <sighs> happening? Oh, it's terrible. It's truly terrible. I mean, we can't. But it's just. Brian's got his his hands over his face. (laughs) (laughs) It's the little Englander mentality Mm. which has come to the fore, you know, as represented by Freak Farage, you know, who. But is that where your shift in terms of Scottish independence came from? Because a lot of people. No, no, there were things earlier than that. I mean, it was a gradual thing that came to. And it's just because of the way my country's been treated. Time and time again, you know, and, and, and you know what happened. You know, I mean, the, the great, um, oh, what they called the, the wonderful singers, of the Scottish twins, the Proclaimers. You know, I would want. But devolution, the Scottish Parliament's given Scotland a. Oh no! Run. I mean, and, that, and 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 also, when we achieve independence, we will do it. Hopefully, without having to fire a shot, unlike the Irish, who've had to fight for it all the way through. We've done it through that wonderful gradualism, you know, and uh, you know, and and that's that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that we are not, you know, we haven't resorted to, you know, though, still early days. Mm. Mm. Do you worry that Nicola Sturgeon, who's obviously very, very impressive, but every leader has their limit and their shelf life do you worry that there's not a sense of anybody coming up behind that might be able to take this thing over the line well i i don't know enough about the you know who's 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 in you know but i mean there's a lot of those people i i've learned to admire actually mm. john sway i like you mm-hmm. know they, i just think they're good people they're really good people you know and 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 i i understand I mean, and their passion for their country has gone a lot longer than mine. I mean, mine's has always been there, but but I haven't been as articulate about it in mm. the past. Mm. And I think there will be. I think there will be. I mean, I think. But you said when, not if. When what? Independence. You said when, not if. Yeah. When? Really? Yeah. Yeah. When? You think it's definitely going to happen? Well, I think we're going to have a try. We've got to. Yeah. I mean, and 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 we have to think positively. So we have to think when. Mm. I mean, I think I think the I think the the United Kingdom is broken, and it has been broken for a long time, and we haven't we haven't noticed how broken it is because of the feudalism. Yeah, because of everybody in their place, and because we do have this, you know, we we have this woman who is our queen who has done an extraordinary job. I mean, just extraordinary. You got to hand it to her. But when she goes, it should be over. So let's talk about football. Yeah. Yeah. Scale okay. of one to ten, Grace. Um, I thought we were eliminating. No, 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 no. We will. We'll, we'll we'll, we'll, we should keep consistent. How much of a football fan are you? I'm more of a football fan than I would admit. I, you know, match of the day, I will sit and I will be absolutely transported by it. <laughs> you know, I, I really am. I mean, it's and I kind of because I'm, I have a very uh, unhappy relationship with football because I wasn't very good at it. I mean, I couldn't kick a ball to save myself. I was too artistic, and I, and also I had the humiliation of never being picked 
Oh, yeah, I was picked because it was the last mile. I suppose we'll have to have Coxie, and that was what the great cry was. Did, Did that have a long-lasting impact on you? Yeah, because it was. But again, it was. It, 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 it's 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 been part of my kind of motivation being force. Excluded. Is, is being excluded. But grow, when I was growing up, and same for you, a bit older than me, Scottish football was. As important, as exciting oh, oh, as English football. I know, I know. That's gone. I know. It's terrible. Well, it's also money. You know, uh, it's money. Uh, it's it's also that that the whole character of football has changed now because it was all you know it was it was all about local guys and gals. Mm. You know, I mean, local guys and gals who were supporters. You know, playing the game. And it's were not you about, Dundee or Dundee United? Well, I, I have to be very careful about that. I, Ostensibly, because <laughs> I have to be—I can't be—I have to be bipartisan on that one. I really appreciated the Jim McLean's um, mm-hmm. United. I thought they were incredible. Well, but then, Jim, Jim McLean at yes. United, yeah. yeah, going to Europe, didn't they, guys? Yeah. yeah. And I—I uh, I was very impressed and very proud of that. But then I remember the the famous team that got that got to the. Um, I think it was the European Cup semi-final and they were beaten by Real Madrid in Dundee. And my cousin, my second cousin, played, he was a back, he was a left back, and he was called Bobby Cox. And he actually created a thing called the sliding tackle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was what he created. Well, that's uh, a legacy. That was a legacy. And he was a great player. He was a, and there's a big stand called the Bobby Cox Stand. In, in, I think Dundee is one of only eight European cities that has two teams that got to the semi-final of the European Cup. Really? Yeah, that's a good start. Were they playing wow. each other? No, no, oh. no, no, no. How interesting. Wow. Well, you know, and of course, the great thing about Dundee, which is the bizarrest thing, is the two... Next to each other. Uh, right really? Next to each other. You could actually, when but I was what, a kid, what is the difference? You, could, you could go to one stadium and watch the game going on the other one. Is it a religious, like, no, who it, it, is it's sort not. of encouraged United, to support which? United had, uh, United had tables, and tables was a sort of pool thing that they had. So United always had a, and that was, gambling was, I don't know why, but gambling is quite a Catholic thing. It's not Protestant. The Protestants don't gamble, but I think Catholics. Everybody do. gambles now. Everybody gambles now. But in those days, it didn't. My 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 brother-in-law was a great. He was right from the word go a great United supporter. But it was you know, and it was of course it was always Celtic Rangers dominated. You know, I mean it always had been, and then Rangers had their crisis. <laughs> but who who do you support now? Uh, well, I I I. Well, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a lover of uh, Manchester United. Okay, oh, I knew you were going to say that. I know, I am a lover of Manchester United. Why is that? Well, it's... Uh, well, I'm Glory Busby, hunt. I have... Glory s- hunt. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> Not really, right now. I'm really... Uh, yeah, he'll be, he'll be switching to Liverpool quite soon. Well, <laughs> that's on the cards. I love Klopp. I think he's done a fantastic job. I mean, really, I think he's Amazing. the best manager in the league. You know, he's, and he's such a great guy. He's got mm. such a bread dumb, you know. Was it, we'll come on to succession in a minute, but I did love the fact that... Did you insist on... Like Usain Bolt insists when he does a commercial that the film crew have to come to Jamaica. Did you insist on no, a scene in Dundee? No, I didn't. Was that, it was a complete surprise. I mean, for, Did they for do the it because of you? Episode, for the first nine episodes of the first season, I was born in Quebec. <laughs> 
It was. But was that overtly and spoken then, about? And what happened is that Peter Friedman, who plays who I, plays Frank, who I keep firing and rehiring and yeah. firing and rehiring, he said, oh. and we were doing the we were doing the wedding scene. It was the ninth episode. We were in the wedding scene. We were in Hereford. And uh, Peter says, you know, I've just done a ADR, which is dubbing session. I said, oh, well, what? He said, yeah, we, they've changed your birthplace. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> yeah, they've changed your birthplace. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, you, you're, not, you're not born in Quebec anymore. I said, so where am I born? He said, oh, I don't know. He said, I can't remember. He said, oh, let me look it up. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, here we are. Somewhere called... Dundee, Scotland. <laughs> and I went, but that's where I'm from. <laughs> so I went up to Jesse Armstrong and I said, Whoa, what's going on? And he looked at me and, he, and of course he's so inscrutable English, Jesse. He's an extraordinary man, such a gifted mm. man. He looked at me and said, well, we thought it'd be a little surprise. Aww. I said, well, it's a hell of a surprise because I've been playing this guy from, you know. He said, no, 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 you, you went to Dundee. You left Dundee when you were very young. And then the next thing I knew is... You were going? They had an episode in Dundee. And, and how was that How was that going back? Because it's well, quite it similar, you it know. It was bizarre. It was bizarre. I mean, I do go back to Dundee, except now I, I'm now, because of the publicity, because I, I had a doctor in Dundee for a long time, wonderful doctor, because I'm diabetic. So I had a guy who was a specialist, and sadly he, 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 he retired. He had to retire early because of his health. Lovely man, Alistair Lambsley-Smith, great doctor. And I really, and it was a way of keeping in contact with my hometown. And I, I did it when I was the rector of the university, so I was registered at the university. But I didn't want to lose the doctors, so I just registered at my sister's. <laughs> <laughs> and they found out about it. And, they said, and now it's because I'm such a public figure now. <laughs> and that, that's still one of the disadvantages, because you lose your secrecy. So but Was it a big deal when you all went there with the big... Film crew. Oh and, yeah, it was great. I mean, and, we and you advertised the new museum. And we we were filming, and, and yeah, it was tough though because we had to, we only had it from between five o'clock at night and five o'clock in the morning. Oh, we had wow. to get out. Yeah, yeah, it was tough, but it was interesting. So I remember we we went there and uh, talked about his background and the thing in the car. Except I was very angry, but well, not very. I was quite angry because the place they picked is my house. We shot near Glasgow, and the stone was oh. completely wrong. And I just said, "No, this is wrong." <laughs> you, when you say you were is angry, that why you didn't want to get out of the car? You angry, Brian, or you Logan? No, but me and Brian yeah. was a little bit pissed off because I, I, yeah, I, I said that to your mum at the time. Really? Mm, I did. No, he didn't. I did. I said that's not Dundee. No, did you? Yeah, I did. Wow. Well, it wasn't. I mean, I, and I was, I was well pissed off about it, and I kept saying because I kept saying, "Just be careful." Don't go. I mean, there are some red sandstones, but it's mainly all brownstone. I said, and also, there are great places in the ferry. There are all kinds of places that you can go to, but no. Logan was pissed off that day as well. Yeah, yeah Logan very was pissed, pissed off, off as well. Yeah, Logan but was channel, you channeled off. the anger. So he, I just, I just, I was quite happy to <laughs> fuck off out of it. Quite <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. But the funny thing was that, of course, Danny Houston was was on the show and so great, become a great pal. He said, you know, this is all very well, but what about Brian Cox's background? What about where you come from? So I had to get up, I got one of these minivans and I took not all the cast, but some of the older oh. members of the cast around where I went to school and where I did all my, where I was 
Brown Constable Street, in the flat where I was born, is still there. Well, I, wasn't, I was born in the DRI, but the flat where I first lived. So that was all there. So I was doing, I was doing my tour, and it was kind of weird. It was weird because I remember when the show started, I said to Adam McKay and, I, and Jesse, I said, uh, you know, he could be Scots. And, they, and Jesse was absolutely adamant. He said, no, no, it's got to be American. One way. Adam McKay, on the other hand, thought, oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. So what was, idea. let's talk about Succession and how that came about, because it really feels like you were meant to play Logan Roy and that they must have just got you. And what was the auditioning process like? Well, there was no, I mean, there was just a conversation here. Uh, they were in, Jesse was in Italy, uh, Adam was in LA, and we had this hour conversation on the phone, and they told me they've got the show. And and they originally said, well, actually, they, they didn't say, but I was told it was one season. I was going to die at the end of the first season. So I, I and I had this I had this conversation, which all went very well, and it was more or less, they were more or less offering it to me. Uh, and I... How did they describe the character when they explained it to you? Well, they just said there's this mo- media mogul, um, not based on anybody in particular, they said it, but he's, uh, he's this one-man band who's, you know, started this empire. And so I, uh, and I, it was intriguing, you know, it was such a... And I thought, this is a great role. I mean, I realised it was a great role. The potential of the role was enormous. And when I suggested, you know, they said, no, no, Scots. But then in the middle of the interview, I said to them, I said, so it's, it's one season. And there was a huge pause on either side of the Atlantic. And suddenly Jesse said, no, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> and it wasn't. So yeah. what, are you, what are you into now? Three. Starting three. When are you starting three? Uh, hopefully towards the end of April. Okay. Yeah. And um, how much was the Murdochs sort of discussed in that, in that well, initial the, call, for the example? The Murdoch is... Well, Jesse had written a, a script about Murdoch, which he had showed to Frank Rich. Frank Rich is our godfather. Frank Rich, who used to be known as the Butcher of Broadway because he, he was the Times... He was a New York Times theatre critic. I mean, the idea of Frank being the Butcher of Broadway, to me, is... I, I can't understand it because he's the sweetest, nicest man you could meet, you know. So what? what's he on? Well, he was, he, he's, he's an executive producer. But he, what happened was, you really, the root of all of this really goes back to in the thick of it. and uh, Which Jesse know, wrote on a lot. Jesse yeah. wrote on, Tony Roach wrote on as well, who's, who wrote the, Tony who wrote the famous Born on the Floor episode. Oh my God, that is just such an <laughs> epic episode. He, he wrote that, Tony wrote I mean, he was He and I were both nervous about that because we it thought, have so we gone good. a bit too far? <laughs> anyway. No, it was so good. So anyway, uh, Tony worked on that. And Amanda really, the style that they created is a style that we've sort of inherited. And then Amanda went on to Veep and redid Veep, re- com- reconfigured the whole thing, and it became, it was always successful, but became even more successful. So, uh, Jesse, I think the story is that Jesse had to do a rewrite of an episode of Veep, but he had to do it very quickly, and he did it in a weekend. Frank, who was always there, and he'd been working, he, he, he was employed by HBO. And because he's he's such a literary man, you know. So Frank read the episode and they, they did it. And he was very impressed and and got to know Jesse and he and, and then Jesse told him that he'd he'd written this 
I can't remember if it was a play or a treatment for... Uh, Something about the Murdochs. About the Murdochs. And, uh, and then he said he'd like to develop it into some kind of idea. And Frank was his champion. Frank said, you know, this is the coming guy. You know, you've got you've to give him, you know. I, I think that's the story. I mean, I may be out of... May, I, may, I, may is, have got, I, mean, I saw an interview where you, you seem to be pushing back at the kind of Murdoch illusions, but... You know, media mogul, three kids, two boys yeah, and a girl, the, fighting for the succession. Yeah, the, the, the difference is, uh, 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 the key difference is, there's nothing inherited. You know... Logan Roy made it on his own. Yeah. Mm. Totally on his own. Mm. So he, you know, there's, you know, there was no newspaper to start with, which is what... I mean, quite a lot of these guys come from a sort of inherited position. Trump. Trump, yeah. And, and Murdoch. Yeah, sure. And Conrad Black and all of these guys. And, and, and I thought it was, it was right that he, you know, I thought it was great that this was a man who, his background was a mystery. And, of course, that's his strength, is his mystery, is we don't know. I think I know who he is, and I think, you know, he's a bit of a nihilist, you know, that he's a sort of atheist nihilist, but doesn't give a fuck really about <laughs> anything and that's why he's sort of embraced what he's embraced and of course he but the most important thing is he loves his children he does love his children oh yeah mm. oh yeah why, the, why is he so horrible to them because they're such a disappointment is you that know. why you're so horrible to us <laughs> So nice I said to my because Logan and Logan's relationship with Shiv, right, yeah. reminds me of me and my dad just without the money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the but that's about, a really strong father-daughter relationship, yeah, which you don't strong. see often. No, and it's very and very strong, and it's and it's and it's and it is, you know, it's his daughter. Mm. You know, but what does he I'm want? The same with my daughter. I've got three sons. I actually got three sons and a daughter. So, wow, uh, so you've got these two families, haven't you? Yeah, I've got right? two yeah. families. Yeah. What's the age gaps? <laughs> Big. <laughs> well, my <laughs> eldest son is about to be fifty. Wow. Yeah. And he, in August, and my youngest is fifteen. Wow. And uh, well, anyway, I won't go into all that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I'm interested in the thing about you say he loves them. Oh no, because I, I asked. I, I you see, I said this to Jesse. Mm. I said, does he love his kids? He said, Oh no, he he really really loves his kids. And of course, that actually is—it's a great motivating force, but it's, again, it's an unplayed motivating force. But it's and is the—is the disappointment in that they didn't start? They didn't start off where he started off. Well, so the they're a bit spoiled. To the, him. That, yeah, and they're entitled. You know, and I actually think it, you know, the humanist element in the story is the fact that you know people get fucked for. Clear reasons, and this family is fucked for such clear reasons, because there is a disconnect, and the, and of course because the father has got such trauma around his roots, there's never been able to ability to settle down to kind of really recorrect that because he's still not able to deal with it. That's why he comes and he says, well, "Fuck it, I'm off," you know, and his sister, we don't know about his sister. There's something about his sister, and it's all mysterious. And they keep it mysterious because they haven't told me. I mean, I, I don't even speculate on that because I know if I speculate, they'll go the other way. You know, as soon as I say, oh, it's, oh no, no, it's that. Do you not feel you need to know all that stuff to play it? Well, 
at first I thought I did. At first I thought I need, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of the actor prepares kind of mm. uh, fellas. So I thought at first I need to know, but at the end of the day, I get a free song from not knowing because it's also like life. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen to you when you step out that door. I don't know when, what's going to happen after you go. So I actually thought, and I loved Jesse's daring in that way. I love the daring of the writer, not that we don't. I mean, and they know. I mean, they, they've got an idea. And Jesse's also got a pretty, I think he's got, a, I think he's probably got a Bible in his head that he's, he's kind of knows. Yeah, there's probably, there's an element of, there's probably a statute of limitations on the show. No, I don't know what that is. How but much? certainly it shifted because it shifted when probably when they decided that they were going to keep me rather than kill it's me. It's quite amazing. There's, I, there's not a single pleasant character in the whole thing. There's not a single but, but person. But they're all so endearing. This they're, is, they're, this... they're interesting. They're not endearing, I don't think. I think they are. I think. So does he have a favourite of the three? Well, there's, f- there's four. Of the four, sorry. Um, well, I think he's naturally aligned to show. How much of a like strong sticking to the script is there? Well, very much so. You know, the script is it, but but but, you, but it's like a sandwich, except we have different bread. We either have ciabatta or we have sourdough. So the thing, so the improvising bit is always the bread. You know, and, and it's slightly different, but then it gets honed down to the meat, and that's really that's really the. So there's there's always an element of it. I mean, Kieran Culkin had never ever ever improvised in his life before yeah. the show, and he's now an expert. And they'll give him the other thing is because they're comedy writers, you get alt lines, you know. Okay. So they'll, they'll they'll suddenly. I mean, Kieran would have. I've told them never to give me. I mean, I've told them give me alt lines, but never write them down and say here your alt lines. Just tell me on the day, like. The classic one is, what's he, what's he going to do? Stick his cock in my potato salad, you know. <laughs> is that an alt line or is that the line? Uh, that was, was an that alt out? line. That was an alt line that came on the day. He said, "What have you? Could you add?" I said, "Sure." Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. Is it so, fun? If you know it's it. tremendous fun. It is true, and 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 we are a family. You know, we really are. We're 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 all devoted to one another. You know, I mean, we have our moments. I mean, there's there's different techniques involved and sometimes the technique is a little bit wearing shall we say but on the whole what is important is the result and the result is always have you been surprised by the scale of the result totally surprised i mean it's it's just phenomenal i mean it's just gone off the charts it's just incredible and 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 you you said earlier on about the role i mean i kind of knew that one day it's so funny about this job you know next year I will be in the theatre for 60 years. Wow. Since I was 15. And so uh, I started at two. I started at two, yeah. And so, and I always knew, people always said that it's, it's the long haul. It's the long haul. And I've had a great career. I mean, I can't complain about my career, but, it's, but I've always done, I've always moved away from the obvious, like, I never became a lovey, you know. I never became an Ian McKellen or any of that bunch, you know. I I just moved away, you know. In the, in the 90s, I moved to America because I wanted to do movies, and they didn't do movies here. And I, I remember meeting Nigel Hawthorne on a plane. And he said, "How can you do that? How can you play those parts? I mean, you know, you're you're a leading actor. You did." I said, "Nigel, I'm just an actor. I'll I'll go where the work is, and if the work is good, 
I said, also, you know, in film, and it was Michael Powell who said this. It's a great phrase. In film, there are no big parts and small parts. There are only long parts and short parts. <laughs> you're either on a film for a long time, you're on a very short, but you, you have to do the business. Mm, yeah. You know, you've got to deliver it. And that's why I loved movies. And, of course, movies was my thing when I was a kid. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a movie actor. Oh. When he was left to town. But then, he ca- then he came back. Then he came back. Um, you're an advocate for smoking weed. I am. Yeah, I am as well. But my dad is yet to be persuaded on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, just lost, I've lost my position uh, as I was part of this Midland thing about... Uh, uh, about care for addicts, and I'm still concerned about that. But but uh, I don't see marijuana or cannabis because it's because of its healing qualities, yes. and it has tremendous healing qualities, and and it 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 deals with one of a, 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 a medical condition, a pre medical condition I have, which is boredom. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's why you love it. And, uh, and also, I've I think. I've also got some here if you want some. Yeah, well, Dad, you, Dad, you can try it. <laughs> no, thank Go you. Go on. Much. But I think, you know, in America. Do you need more addictions? In America, they're really moving in the right direction. I think they will eventually here because of the fact that you can make a lot of money if you're yeah, exploring. I mean, and, 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 also it's, and also, the great stuff is the quality of the weed. And the problem is, is that people, when they buy it illegally, are buying really bad oh, quality stuff. Oh, horrible that can skunk. Just, yeah, I mean, the, the, exactly. You've got a, you, you really, you, that's There's no regulation. Right, no. And, and the stuff that you buy, I mean, these shops, there's a thing called MedMen. Oh, my God. So MedMen, I was just in L.A. for a bit, and MedMen is the coolest shop. It's like an Apple store, yeah. okay? And you go in, and they've got these glass cabinets with different strains of weed. Yeah. But everyone that works there, like, they're like, they work in the Apple store. It's yeah, amazing. It's, it's like that. It's exactly... She's would, you go, right. would you legalise the whole drugs market, the hard class A drugs as well? Well, not, not legalise, decriminalise. We're decriminalise. I mean, I think we, we have to decriminalise. I mean, I, I mean, the problem is... I'm in my hometown... And in a way, I think they were right to for me to go because I was probably, but I was, I was joking too, you know. I was being a bit silly when that interview, but I do, you know, I do, I do smoke. Um, but I, I think that, that in my hometown we have fifth generation heroin addicts, and that's just not good. And they, and, that, and you, treating addiction like a crime. Well, treating it, but anyone. also not really getting to the roots of it, which is poverty. And you know, and mental the fact health. that uh, you know, mental health, and the fact that uh, unemployment, you know, I mean, just lack of purpose. So, should we do the six side? Yes. You ready? You ready to do your dream six side team yes, to I change am. the world? Brian Cox. Mm. Three men, three women, dead or alive. <laughs> so my my. Uh, I, I had a problem with. Um, I, I can't choose between Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison. So Michelangelo I, and Toni Morrison. No, Maya Angelou. Oh, Maya Angelou. Oh. Sorry, yeah, okay. And, and Toni Morrison. Okay. That, yeah. That. Why don't you do both? Uh, well, I, you have seven. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't. Have seven. Okay. Well, let's so go through them. I, I, so I've kind of gone for Toni Morrison. Yeah. Because I was Maya Angelou. There's the elements of kind of show-off thing about her, <laughs> which I'm not so sure That's about. That's a... She can fuck off. <laughs> no. Yeah. Rosa Luxemburg, mm-hmm. because she was a Democrat and she was assassinated in, in 1919 and she was a great believer in humanist Marxism. Mm-hmm. So I had enormous respect for her. 
Indira Gandhi, mm-hmm. who I knew and met. Really? Where did yeah. you meet her? I was on a tour of India in the early 80s, just actually the same year she was assassinated. Mm. And I met her that early that year. She'd just come out of mourning, and she was astonishing. I mean, astonishing. Did you woman. spend some time with her? I spent an evening with her. Wow. You know, she came to see me in the play. I, I was doing Macbeth. And she in came, India? In India. I was playing at the, in the theatre in Delhi, wow. and she'd just come out of mourning, so she was... She was fasting. I remember she was eating these tiny little bananas. And she was just... The thing about it was she's so bloody sexy. That was the thing that I didn't realise about Indira Gandhi. She had this and she had this sort of... She was petite and much prettier than any of the pictures show in life. And this sort of consideration about stuff. I mean, she was considerable. What did you talk about? Well, we talked about... We talked about a couple of things, actually. We, 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 but mainly I talked about women in India. And I talked about her. And there was a great revel. I had been, I'd been in Bombay, and I had been interviewed by this young, kind of ambitious female journalist who was very forthright. And in a sari, she was fully in, the, in a garb. Wasn't she wasn't Western at all in her look, in her thinking? I think slightly different. So, uh, and she insisted on jumping in the car with me, and I was going to a studio to do a film, and she insisted on coming. And I said, "Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm a guest. I'm not sure." She said, and then we were talking, and then she said, she turned around, she said, "You have no idea what it's like to be a woman in India." And I felt like shit. I said, "Well, of course, I have no idea what it's like to be a woman in India." <laughs> So I relayed this story to uh, Mrs. Gandhi, and she said, yeah. And then she did this gesture. She put her finger on the ear, and she said, she said, well, I mean, you've no idea what it's like to be a Western woman in India, but to be an Indian woman. (laughs) <laughs> and I went, wow. Yeah, new what, what? Yeah, you know, you just thought, wow, this this woman has got a, you know, she's just quite something, you know. And then she talked about the Jainists, you know, when she had to meet the Jainists, because the Jainists are a nude, you know, they're essentially mm-hmm. nude. So they had to be issued <laughs> with dish towels <laughs> to meet her. That's and so she was just, funny. she was just very funny and very, very down to earth, very practical. And considerable, absolutely considerable. And I thought, and then she was arguably the most powerful woman in the world mm. at that time. Mm. I mean, and she did sort of hard things, like she she partitioned part of India at one point. She, you know, she for eighteen months she was virtually a dictator, but she had to do something to sort certain things in the country out, which she did. And it's tragic that you know, because she was quite secular, really, as a person. But it's it's tragic that it's gone down this mm-hmm. nationalist yeah. Hindu route. So and those three, we've never had any of them. No, no and, you, and you three men? Well, uh, the two of them are obvious. Uh, Attenborough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure people have said him before, just because of his considerable care and his longitude. And, and he's and, trying to save the world. And he is trying to save the world. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody mm-hmm. doing a better job of it. And, of course, Mandela. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had him, yeah. But my other person is is a man called Viktor Frankl. The Oz? I don't know who what? that is. No, tell me. 
Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Right. And he was a psychiatrist in the, uh, in the camps in Auschwitz. Oh. And he made this huge discovery uh, about... Um, he, he started a thing called Logotherapy, which is an excellent brand of psychiatry. And he, he noticed that the people who died in the camps he already realized they were they had this kind of um they had this they were they were already doomed you know that that they, they had no way of getting out and that the people who lived were people who had this amazing kind of sense of not allowing it to affect them in a way mm. and what logotherapy does is you take a problem and you put it outside of yourself mm. You know something that you're yeah. swamped by, and then you see it as it is, and how stupid it is that it affects you in the way it does, and that's what he developed from this. And it's a, it's a wonderful teaching. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a form of meditation. Yeah, I actually is. sometimes do that when I meditate, yeah. where you get something that you feel you can't control, and you just sort of put it there. That's right. Because you can't and, control it. And it's it. a great, it's a great book. I mean, it's. Well, a, I've just read this book by Jack Fairweather about Auschwitz, and it's about this Polish guy, Witold Pilecki, is called who he sort of broke into, he got himself sent to Auschwitz to try to develop, get intelligence to feed back, and he's back to Churchill. He was desperate to let the British know what exactly was happening there. So that's, one, that's a big enough story that he's done that. Yeah. But as you read the book, it's an incredible book, but as you read it, I keep thinking, why is this guy not being exterminated? And why is he not just falling into the... The kind of morass that everybody else seems to be in, and, and he and he and he survived. He survives and he, he gets got, home, and yeah. eventually he got he got killed uh, when he got home. But um, so that is an that's an, I, I shall I shall get that book. No, you. I I think I, I actually thought of you because uh, of I, I I watched your interview with uh, Tony Blair. Which oh, I did thought, you? I really liked that. I thought the GQ was, one. Yeah, I thought it was very revealing. Uh, both of you and of him, <laughs> and and his uh, his inability to, yeah, he said, that, that moment when he talks about Trump, and you say, come on, come on, and he goes, no, I've got to work with him. <laughs> go, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it was just actually it was quite interesting. I just I I could see I could see his dilemma in a way that I'd never seen it before, mm. and that was very clear in that interview, and I could also see your dilemma too. You know, dreams and all that stuff, mm. and uh, and his clearly his does. I mean, not. I don't mean this in a bad way, and it's it's not it's not pejorative. But there's a sort of stunted thing for him. Somewhere down the line, there was something became stunted for him in terms of his, in terms of his his sensibility. Just the fact that. He couldn't. He can't engage in a certain way, and it's. And I felt actually, I felt huge sympathy for him. You could. You, I think you really can see that with him. Yeah, I felt huge sympathy for him. I thought it, but it was. It was very good to see because you know I haven't. I haven't, he's, I haven't been Not particularly happy fan. with him. You know, but I just thought it was his humanity. I just thought, yeah, he's. Mm. He's got a problem. He's got a real deep problem, and it's hard. Dad, what hmm. does lovey mean? Uh, lovey is kind of 
when you mean when he said I'm not a lovey? Yeah, when he said I'm never going to be, I was never going to be a lovey. Yeah, it's like the idea that you come down and you're all about sort of what he would define as maybe airy fairy, arty farty, in a very kind of you know elitist sort of way. I loved the fact that he said that he's. These sort of big heroes as actors and writers were all these kind of working class guys. So it's lovely, a sort of posh thing. Yeah, yeah, it's more than that. It's kind of taking themselves too seriously. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Now, to be fair, you know, he does get involved in politics, um, but I think that's because he's he is that he's still that kid who came from Dundee. I think. Uh, I, do you know what I really loved was the fact that he said Logan Roy is so not Murdoch. Because Murdoch, because he, Murdoch came from money. Yeah, and, and Logan Roy self-made. But um, it's funny that he said that was the most defining difference because actually you don't think about that much when you're watching it. You don't think that... Because oh. that, I, d- I don't know Murdoch's sort of past, so I didn't mm. ever think that, like, Murdoch didn't come... I thought Murdoch didn't come from money. Okay. I would have easily taken it as that from watching Succession. Yeah, it's quite interesting. He obviously doesn't want people to think this is a sort of biopic type yeah. thing. And that is a big difference. Yeah. Especially in terms of his relationship with his kids. I yeah. thought that was so interesting. That's the reason why he's mean to them, is because he's disappointed in them. I know. And that might be yeah. because they never started where he started. Yeah. You have a touch of that with us. A little us. bit, a little bit, yeah. You think we're too spoiled and lucky. Yeah. yeah, whereas I grew up in a hole in the road. and You grew up in a cardboard box. Well, it was, and you it was, and your brothers shared cardboard. one pair of boxes, didn't yeah. you? You yeah. all squeezed into Well, the they didn't even pair. call them boxes in those days. It was what did you call them, a, a sheet? <sighs> it was like, they were like sort of paper. Plastic bags. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'll tell you the other thing I really liked was that uh, his... I, I liked what, how he explained the thing about independence. And he was like, you know, he's, a nas- he's not a nationalist, he's an internationalist. He's very political. And, of course, the other thing, swearing. He's good at swearing. Fuck off. Fuck off. Yeah, but you know what I loved best was the weary fuck off. Uh-huh. Oh, fuck, fuck off. Funny where one choice takes you. From the edge of making a decision to doing research on the cutting edge... From being bored in your room to being heard in the boardroom. From the CAO to your first day at TU Dublin, ready for anything. One choice, infinite possibilities. Choose TU Dublin on your CAO. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. 
This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.